Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. In fact, you're giving us the one thing that you will not get back. It's the only non-renewable resource you possess. That, of course, is your time. I hope that we can continue to earn your attention. Utility and power developers looking at energy storage to scale your business. This episode is likely for you. I try to bring on executives who can give us insight into not just how the market's currently unfolding, but how from the CEO suite, they envision their technology or the market broadly evolving in a way that we can be actionable about. And frankly, few conversations on the storage front have hit the mark as well as the one that I had with John Zoransic, Senior Vice President and President of America's for none other than Fluence. Back in Las Vegas at our Power Up Live podcast stage, I had the wonderful opportunity to sit with John and discuss the future of energy storage from the perspective of Fluence, one of the most prominent and largely deployed technology companies in the sector. We cut right to the heart of the matter around domestic content. And of course, his role not just influence, but all the way back to AES has been instrumental as an early innovator in the deployment of this technology at scale. And now the return to US or domestic shores of manufacturing this technology. John and I more importantly get into a topic around the importance of being a first mover versus a fast follower, the advantages of either, and how procurement managers ought to be thinking about the gigawatt scale pipeline procurement opportunity that lies before them. And of course, we touch on one of my favorite things that Fluence does offer, which is storage as transmission. One of the first times I ever heard of that, the verbiage for this was when I interviewed Mary Kubik. And of course, last year when I had the opportunity to sit down with Kiran Kumaraswamy. So I love the through line that Fluence has of making the industry more streamlined and innovating around technology that makes your job easier. If you're wondering what keeps John Zoranzik up at night, you'll want to stick around. This interview gets to the heart of it. If you like these kinds of conversations, well, you are in the right place, my friend, as we've cataloged more than 640 such interviews with clean energy leaders on the front lines of the energy transition. You can learn more at mysuncast.com. For now, let's get ready tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we dig into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Welcome back once again to the Power Up Live podcast stage presented by KeyBank Capital Markets in partnership with Suncast Media. My name is Nico Johnson, your host for our next session, The Future of Energy Storage, a conversation with Fluence, and I am joined on stage by the 
Senior Vice President and President of the Americas, John Zaransic. John, good to see you. Yeah, thank you for having us. Absolutely, man. It's my pleasure. If you're watching live at suncast.live, if you're watching out in uh, the audience on the Jumbotron, thanks for joining. And thanks to all of this wonderful audience. Fluence always rolls deep. You guys brought a crowd. Thank you. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about storage. And yes. that's what one would expect that we're going to talk about if yes. we have a conversation with Fluence. Fluence is changing the way we think about storage, changing the way we think about um, distribution of energy that's broadly. Right. And, um, you know, I think that one of the things that, um, that impresses me about Fluence is the heritage of the work that you guys started at, SM, at AES. And John, you've been um, in energy storage since longer than Fluence uh, it was, was around <laughs> as a brand. Can you give us a sense of the perspective and scale from your earliest projects to today? As yeah, a I think that's great to, to hear about and to think about is I often reflect on that. I was telling our team as I walked around the floor, when we would come to some of these events in the early days, you know, we'd say we were doing something with batteries and energy storage. People would say, I, I don't really know what you're talking about and what's going on. Today, just walking across a casino floor, all you hear is people talking about batteries and energy storage. So those, those early days, we were doing projects that were one megawatt in scale and 250 kilowatt hours. Yeah. And we were buying batteries at a cost of about $3,000 a kilowatt hour. So just for contrast, we're yeah. something like 90, 95% reduction in, in the cost of batteries. $3,000 a yeah, kilowatt hour. $3,000 a kilowatt hour. We go back into to 2007, 2008 with those first systems, first one megawatt system we deployed in Indianapolis, a whopping 250 mm -hmm. kilowatt hours of total energy stored uh, yeah. to do frequency regulation. Mm -hmm. and, and we've scaled up since then. So at every stage of the industry, We've been pushing the forefront, you know, going from one megawatt to 10 megawatts, 10 megawatts to 100 megawatts. We're now doing systems that are on the scale of two, three hundred megawatts, uh, four or five and six hours in duration. So massive growth in, in what people are using. And really, storage has become a substitute for a power plant today. Uh, when we started it, it was a relatively small ancillary device. And today we're really building these instilled a, instead of building new gas fired peakers. Absolutely true. Jigger was just on the stage and he was talking about how... Um, we are shifting as an industry from, um, you know, building these yes. peaker plants to building energy systems. And we're, we have uh, sort of legacy centralized and now distributed energy storage, power generation right. at the home. Fluence, uh, I mean, last year we talked with uh, Kiran, Kim, Kiran Swami. Yes. I always get his last yeah. name wrong. About your, your virtual distribution of energy storage. Uh, I, what, what are the innovations that you have been um, but either a part of, but also surprised at, at the velocity and have come online with I, regards to storage? I mean, I think the scale has been something we anticipated because when you take a technology that you can largely manufacture in a factory and then yeah. you start to scale it up, we saw that when solar started to make that big turn, yeah. right? We went from relatively small projects to all of a sudden these mega projects. I think we're seeing the same thing happen in storage. And that's one of the convictions that we've had yeah, people have tried gravity systems and compressed air and all kinds of ways to store uh, power. But one of the things we really liked about uh, batteries is the ability to scale it up rapidly, have relatively dense systems, things that you can put in. We've, we've manufactured our Gen 6 system now. It's mostly made in a factory and we can get to site and put it in place very, very quickly. You don't have emissions on site. You don't have something unsightly. So permitting goes more smoothly. So I think the industry has really all moved to where people have accepted this now yeah. as if we're building something new, we're incorporating storage into it. Even just a few years ago, it was still a little bit of a unicorn, yeah, you know, a rare, a rare beast. And uh, 
you know, now I think it's become much more commonplace. We're still at the early days. There's lots yeah. to come, but it, it's fun to see that it's in the common conversation. It absolutely is, especially if you're in markets like New York and, and ERCOT down yeah, in Texas. That's right. Um, you know, one of the the things that I remember from my early days developing down in Latin America was watching the AES and then eventually the the Fluence team starting to integrate storage for grid resiliency, right. first in Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic yep. and throughout Latin America, where let's face it, peaker plants aren't running on natural gas, they're running on bunker they're running fuel, on diesel, right? Yeah. So storage began to offer grid resiliency in in these disparate remote communities long before we brought it online in major in major economic areas. That's true. Right. Yeah. And in those places, what we went in and said, hey, this in a lot of those places, it wasn't so much about green or clean. Right. It really was about uh, reliability of the grid. Yeah. We needed something that really could deal with the fluctuations that we see and, and smaller grids have more fluctuations. Yeah. So we dealt with that first and then we did cost reduction. So yeah. those places, it was much cheaper to put storage in than have to have these plants burning all the time to deal with whatever events might come yeah. in terms of conflicts. And then third, we got clean, right? So yeah. I, I, that's the nice thing is we're starting to turn those diesel plants off. You don't need them running. Um, even then, we've moved up the chain and we're starting to turn some of the gas-fired plants off yes. because of this. And then, you know, finally, we started to say, hey, there's a deep integration here between renewables and storage. Mm. And so you see a lot of co-located facilities that are allowing more solar, more wind to get on the grid That's because right. this is providing that resilience and backup that the grid needs. And helping avoid curtailment. That's right. <laughs> yeah, is exactly. Just super important in a lot of markets, not just here in the United States. Um, as I mentioned before, you know, when I was kind of watching you all uh, develop what ultimately became Fluence, um, first in uh, these sort of these remote grid operations and then more broadly, uh, the thing that impressed me was that it was, for the most part, uh, we'll call local content, sort of domestic. <laughs> it was it was uh, cottage at the time, but domestic manufacturing yeah. uh, of a sort. Everybody's talking about the um, the tailwind that is the IRA. We we talked at length here yesterday with the Key Bank Capital Markets folks about sure. kind of what developers are looking at from an energy storage perspective. Um, but the you know the the juicy stuff here around um, around energy storage is, you know, we see press release after press release at the press release of solar module manufacturers and Next Tracker. I don't know about any other racking, like Next Tracker seems to open right. a new factory every week, but, um, <laughs> we've got a lot, we've got a lot of participants in the industry who are talking about domestic content. I don't see that so often in the energy storage sector with the exception of Fluence. Could you talk a bit? I mean, sure. there, and there are homegrown. I don't mean, of course, there are folks that are also manufacturing domestically, yeah. but we don't see the noise about it. We don't see the promotion of it. And I feel like it's an area where folks aren't, uh, they don't, they, they don't understand the undercurrent of what's actually happening. So could you bring us up to speed about the, sure. the nature of domestic content? Yeah, I think, you know, we saw a few years ago uh, when we, we ran into COVID, yep. all of the disruptions in the supply chain, right? And I think that made people aware of how fragile that was at times. Yeah. The difficulty of getting things from Asia into the United States, in particular shipping, became incredibly expensive. In some cases, even at an incredible expense, the ship <laughs> didn't exist, wouldn't show up, had yeah. problems, you know. And so we we noticed that uh, frailty and we were seeing the growth of these markets and saying, we're not going to be able to sustain a large scale healthy market unless we distribute some of this. Mm -hmm. And so Fluence made the step then to start to do regional manufacturing and yeah. regional production. Uh, we opened a facility in Salt Lake City more than a year ago where we're doing production and integration of batteries into our enclosures. Yep. And then we distribute throughout. 
we've made the decision to start building a module of our own. And so that will be a U.S. produced module. Yeah. And then along came the IRA and, and all these incentives to do things domestically to build up the U.S. Uh, manufacturing and supply chain. And we've entered into a partnership that we announced a few weeks ago with ASC Envision. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be taking all of the capacity of their Nashville plant yeah. uh, into energy storage, stationary energy storage. Those batteries will start shipping, you know, domestically made, U.S. made battery cells at the end of 2024. Okay. And we'll be shipping completed systems at the beginning of 2025. Yeah. We're already making offers to our key partners to begin doing those systems. So we'll start to see U.S. domestically qualified battery systems at scale yeah. in 2025. In a world where lots of solar technology providers seem to blend together and have little differentiation, it truly is necessary that you are able to dig deeper, get more resources and tools, and have more breadth of opportunity to learn and share with your core partners. Trina Solar is leaning in to the many requests for the Trina Hub, the new global partner portal dedicated to giving partner training courses and certifications, as well as a full asset library of pre-built and co-branded marketing resources for channel support. I'd like to encourage you to try Trina Hub for yourself. See how it helps grow your solar business and develop or enhance your digital marketing ecosystem. Learn more and sign up today at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. Hey, if you're looking for a way to maximize the ROI for your next utility project, I would like to point you to SunGrow's new SG4400 modular inverter. This new innovative solution will reduce capital and operating expenses because it arrives already on a skid with a step-up transformer. It's built using four 1100KW modules so that if one of them fails, well, the other three keep powering right on through as the DC and AC protection are completely separate between the modules. You can learn more about this fantastic new product and more at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. For those who are unfamiliar with the general timeline, sure. you mentioned some of the supply constraints. If I were to try and buy batteries, either from reputable Southeast, uh, Southeast Asian providers today, what's the typical timeline for delivery of being able to receive that kind of product? I mean, just to to buy and then manufacture, you've yeah. got probably four months and yeah. then you've got shipping transit of a couple months. Mm. So we're taking all of that transit time out. We're reducing yep. the manufacturing yep. time. And then more importantly, we're getting away from those risks of, yeah. you know, whether it's the Ukraine war, whether mm. it's something next that comes geopolitical That's tensions right. with different parts of the world. Those are all risks that as people move to large scale projects, uh, tax equity funded projects that need to be done on a certain timeline. Yeah. We're trying to take all of those risks out for the developers to say, we're sure that we can get this there. We can get it there on a date certain. And you have the benefit of the bonus uh, ITC tax Correct. credit adder because it's domestically produced. So we see this as a bit of a game changer. The United States is the largest market for energy storage. And yeah. it's a very large market for EVs, second largest market for EVs. And so having a domestic supply chain that's deep makes sense here. Yeah. This is the beginning of yeah. that. And so, and you know, we've tried to be at the forefront, as you mentioned, you have. going back many, many years. We're trying to be at the forefront of the next transition, which is really diversification of the supply chain. Yeah. So a lot of people on the forefront have arrows in their back. <laughs> yes, I so have I'm a lot of scars. I'm going to be the voice of the skeptic developer out there. Why do I care that Fluence is a first mover when 
all of Southeast Asia is going to be trying to figure out how to be a fast follower to you. What's the advantage of a yeah, developer I, working with I a think first it, mover? I think it's a couple things. One, I, it, we're not just a first mover. I think we might be the only first mover who still has a continuous organization over 16 years. So okay. we're a first mover who didn't die from the yeah. arrows in the back. There you go. You know, so yeah, I don't know if we're just the tough, you know, tough guys. We pat, yeah. patched it up. Um, so we have the voice of experience. Yeah. You know, we've done a lot of things first over and over and over again, and right. we know what it takes to do something mm. first. It's not pretty. It's not clean the first couple of things, but we stay in it and work it out. Our teams have been mm-hmm. through all of that. The domestic content, I think, really is about risk management. You know, yeah. we saw what people have gone through on the solar panel side over the last few years with you bought something and you can't get it into the country because yeah. of various restrictions on forced labor or you start to have major tariff changes. Those are real risks that boards yeah. and other companies are dealing with. And, and you know, a year delay on a project, a two year delay on a project, that's that might be the whole return of that project in terms mm. of having cash sitting for that long. Yep. So we've never failed to deliver on a project. Sometimes it takes us a little longer than we thought, yeah. um, but we work with customer through that. So I think having this domestic content gives us one more step down in that risk matrix and one more <laughs> option. We're not going to exclusively buy in the U.S. We yeah. have a supply chain that's global and, and Fluence operates in a lot of countries. So we still have the diversity of sourcing things from overseas. Uh, we have a partnership with a European manufacturer, Northvolt. So our goal has been take advantage of what's built and at scale already in yeah. Asia start to diversify into European production, start to diversify into U.S. production, and and use that supply chain to drive the benefits to the customer as quickly as we can. And everything Fluence does is about scale. We yeah. believe this industry and energy storage is going to be much, much bigger. Yep. Everything we've done from the beginning has been aimed at, let's make it bigger. Which, we did the partnership which is with why Siemens. why didn't start trying to manufacture from the beginning. It was, exactly. it was integration to, at the beginning. Exactly. Yeah. Take advantage of the established supply That's chain, right. the cost efficiencies, and then be a big buyer so that we can deliver that cost efficiency yes, to our customers. Absolutely. Well, well, talking about being a big buyer, you sell to big buyers. And I've got a lot of procurement folks that listen to Suncast. <laughs> so I want you to talk to them. Put yourself in the shoes of, uh, you know, of uh, my buddy Lenny John over at Strata. Yeah. Gigawatt pipeline. Yeah. Buying a lot of batteries. How do they filter the wheat from the shaft? Can you give us some insights? What parameters matter in this competitive landscape as a buyer? Sure. I think, I mean, what we're seeing more and more frequently in my conversations with customers is certainty of supply is a key element, yeah. right? So they've been through this period where bought from somebody, maybe they couldn't fulfill, they had mm-hmm. to go back and buy from somebody else. A lot of developers have experienced that. Bought from somebody, very material delay, and, and we're dealing with something. Bought for somebody... We get into the field and a local AHJ has a lot of permitting questions about safety and other topics and you have a material delay. Yeah. Bought from somebody, got through permitting, get to final testing. Oh, the utility has a few requirements that they may not have totally mentioned that you need to do to get the system online. Material delay. And what we're seeing is tax equity is a key lifeblood to this industry. Yeah. They run on timelines. The difference between December 31st and January 1st for tax ex- ex- equity supplier is a year delay. Mm-hmm. So they're death. starting to allocate tax equity to the people that they think have the confidence that they're going to get the project right. done, certainly. And what we're trying to bring on every uh, frontier is we will get you there, certainly. And we have yep. the supply chain. We have the technical know-how. We have the systems integration capability. We have the software. We have permitting expertise. We will get you to completion. And, yeah. that, and that's what I think buyers are looking for as they move from buying one project at a time right. to having gigawatt scale portfolios. Yeah. How do we go with somebody that we know can continue to do things with us over and over again? Yeah. 
I think one of the things as well that I've seen you guys focus on that I don't know if you, um, I don't think we talked about bringing it up specifically, but I know you've been doing a lot of burn tests and just really focused yeah. on safety. How, what What's public of yeah. that way? You could talk yeah, about sure. no, the, I, the crazy tests you're I, running. You know, I, uh, we've been pretty public about it. I, you know, we started, we put our first system online in 2008. Yeah. And we went from 2008 to 2019 yeah. before we had a major event. Mm. I I would say that's for two reasons. One, we were very focused on safety and really focused on the fact that something could happen yeah. and trying to to limit that. But two, the systems were a lot smaller and cumulatively, we just didn't have as as much deployed as one system today might right. be as big as things that we did for almost 10 years, yeah. right? And so it's getting bigger. Even if you have a very small risk of something happening, as these get larger in more and more places, the likelihood that you're going to have an event increases. And so what I would say is we learned in 2019, going through an event with Arizona Public Service, a lot. Uh, we went through a fire and not only did we have a fire event, but we had people injured in that. And that was something that mm. we thought we had taken every precaution to deal with people getting injured. And what we found is things happen in an event that you don't totally anticipate. Lots of human beings are, are running around doing their own thing. And it caused us to really rethink our whole design philosophy. Right. And what we did when we moved to the Gen 6 is we materially changed the form factor. People can't enter it. We added additional safety features with deflagration venting. Um, we changed our philosophy from suppress a fire to make it burn. You know, we want to consume any kind of combustible gases that come out of that unit. And we were very open in working with Arizona Public Service on evaluating that event, coming through, taking all the lessons and incorporating them. And now we've gone even farther to say, not only are we going to try to be safe when it happens and take things down, but we're proactively burning things. Yeah. And so 9540A, I think, was a good step for the yeah. industry. It's, it's helped <clears throat> us. It's not sufficient. And so we've gone to what we call the fluence beyond test. Um, I sort of affectionately call it the hellfire test. You know, it's just <laughs> That's what I mean. burn the hell out of this thing and let's see what happens. Yeah. You know, how does it propagate or not propagate? One of our goals has been when you have an event, Reduce the probability of the event, first right. of all, right? So we've done that. Then make sure that nobody's near it. And we've we've sent a very consistent story. Of, hey, if something happens, do not try to save it. Right. Let, let this piece of equipment fail. Let's get through the event quickly and keep human beings away. There's yeah. no reason for somebody to get hurt. This is like a transformer fire. You know, right. we, we have that commonly in the industry. We'll let it fail. We'll replace it. And then keep it small. That's yeah. the next thing, right? So we don't want it to propagate side to side. So we've done a lot of testing to show hey, this isn't going to go from one unit to another and then replace it fast. Yeah. So some of these fire events, people are out of service for a year, two years or something. Wow. Replace it fast so that system can get back in and do the job. It's really a year or more. Yeah, because people do investigation Holy and then they do moly. replacement and then they have to order equipment. Talk so about risk mitigation. We're, we're trying to get into that modular way of thinking. Yeah. And, and I think the insurance companies are starting to pay attention. The yeah. off takers are paying attention to say, hey, the goal here is human safety, but that safety yep. also converts into sort of reliability. We talked a bit that last year with Karen talked about storage as transmission. I'm starting to hear yeah. a lot about this kind of an application of technology uh, uh, for storage. Sure. Let's talk about um, your outlook for storage as transmission. What does that mean, first of all? And then how, if, if I'm a developer, how do I think about that? Yeah. Well, we see these places all over the queue. I mean, everybody's dealing with limited interconnection space. We're dealing with, uh, in many cases, it's the reliability of the transmission grid where they're holding capacity back for yeah. an event to fail. Um, what we can do with storage in a lot of cases is provide that backup using the storage and free up actual capacity on those lines or eliminate a congestion point. So it may be that at the busiest part of the year, 
this line is overloaded, this transformer is overloaded. It's very difficult to upgrade that full line, expensive, costly. It may just not even be able to be done in the yeah. community. By putting storage in, we can extend the life of that line, eliminate that congestion and do essentially like a virtual transmission line. So we've won a, a number of large projects in Europe. Those yeah. are starting to go forward. These are 100, 200 plus megawatt systems that supplement the transmission grid. We've started talking to people in the United States and South America about the same thing. And I think that's the next frontier for storage is we've seen storage as generation. Yeah. Now we're going to see storage as as the network. Also. And in this case, you're selling to to Duke and PJM and CPS, right? You're yeah. not selling to a developer. Well, in some cases, developers are proposing those ah, projects. Okay. And so in the United States, we have this system where somebody can propose an alternate transmission oh, wow. system. And if it's more cost effective, they can win that project and do it. And right? you're winning these deals. That's what's beginning to happen. That so some of this is people getting the vision for it and That's then cool. doing the technical evaluation. But, you know, we're doing it in Germany. So they're, yeah. they they know a little something about technology. <laughs> they're a little further ahead. They're, they're huh? a little conservative yeah. in terms of how they evaluate it. And That's they're right. moving ahead with very large scale programs. Fascinating. Yeah. One final question. What keeps you up at night? <laughs> your interview? No, uh, beyond your interview? <laughs> uh, beyond, beyond, I, beyond prepping uh, for the interview. <laughs> I would say, uh, you know, it's it's always sort of the safety element just because... Uh. You don't want anybody to ever get hurt from from what's going on in there. Yeah. But so I think that's it. I mean, we have a lot of good people working on that, but that's always as it gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. Uh, how do we continue to manage how we think about that? How do we interact with customers to do, you know, the next phase of, mm. of making it safe, reliable? So well, I, I continue to be impressed by things like the Hellfire test <laughs> and uh, and feedback that I get from developer friends who have integrated uh, sort of the fluence mindset. Um, I mean, to to your credit and how you've built the company. Your marketing team does a tremendous job of casting the vision for where Fluency is the technology taking the industry rather yeah. than the industry taking the technology. Yeah. And I think that's part and parcel for the kind of innovation we've seen from AAS and Fluence to date. Great. John Zaranzik is the president of Americas for Fluence. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. Hope you Thank do it you again so soon. much. Yeah, it's great to see you. Well, since you made it this far, I want to say thank you for being an all the way to the end of the podcast episode listener. I salute you. I too am often either washing dishes or out for a run or a walk or whatever. My phone's in my pocket or across the room and I can't hit the next button. So this is for you. Thanks for taking the time to stick around all the way to the end. I'm curious what about this conversation with John really, really sinks in or, or connected with you. You've listened all the way through something connected. Would you tell me an email to Nico at mysuncast.com is great. Um, fill out our listener survey while you're there. Uh, at the mysetcast.com website. You can also get all the show notes for this episode along with our takeaways and recommendations for other podcast episodes that you might enjoy. Each and every week, we bring you to a Tactical Tuesday, a deep dive with a subject matter expert, and then these Thursday executive profiles where we chronicle how the industry is unfolding through the eyes of the leaders and pioneers who are building it. Thanks as always to our sponsors who help make this show free to you. It just costs you your time and attention, which I and they are grateful for. If you go to mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor, you can learn more about all the sponsors that we mentioned in today's episode and what they have to offer. And I want to say, remember that you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.